Father, we bow here in your presence once again. We thank you for this opportunity, for bringing us together. Lord, I thank you for the family that we have here at Dogwood. We pray now that as we go through this portion of our service where we are looking into your word, that you would open up your word to us, uh, just challenge us with what we see and hear. Lord, may we leave here different than we were when we came in. We thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you all be seated? I know Scott was right when he said, I'm sitting here looking at this balloon smiling at me. Uh, this is going to be a little bit different today, but uh, Bubba, we just wish you all the best on this birthday of yours, and thank you for uh, all those of you that contributed to signing this card for him and making this a special time for him. Back in uh, the early 70s, I was living in Charlotte, and I was working at a drafting company and had been there a couple of years, and I was wanting to change jobs. I, this would be a few years before I went into the ministry or left to go to Bible college. But I was trying to figure out what to do and what to do about this job opportunity that had come up in changing companies, and of course that's always a scary thing. So I can remember... I had been praying about this, and I had been talking to the Lord and asking Him for wisdom and direction. And I was going to work one day, and I always left early in order to beat the traffic. So there was, it was dark. And I can remember saying, okay, Lord, if you want me to change jobs, then the next car that comes over the hill, let it have only one headlight. And so I looked, and the first car that came over the hill had two headlights. And so that didn't help me any. So I go to work. And then we park in the company parking lot, but there was one area where a tree overhung the parking lot, and I can remember parking under that tree. And I said, okay, Lord, if you want me to change jobs, then let me come back this afternoon when it's time to go home and find that a, that a bird pooped on my windshield. <laughs> Came back, and the windshield was clean as it can be. Nothing on it. And so finally I did change jobs. I decided just to go ahead and take, bite the bullet and change jobs. And it worked out well. Nothing happened. And, uh, you know, you just conclude, well, maybe God wasn't uh, directing that way or something. I didn't know, but I went ahead and changed jobs anyway, and it worked out well. Now, I know that some of you in here have done the same thing. Some of you in here have uh, gone through some scenario where you have asked God for a sign, something to, to help you to understand what to do, and where, you know, you're in the middle of making a big decision and you're not quite sure. And you were so desperate to get an answer, to get some direction from God, that you did something similar to that. Maybe not that, but something similar. Now, in Christian circles, that is called throwing out a fleece. Um, and as a matter of fact, the term and the practice comes from this passage that we're going to be looking at today where Gideon literally throws out a fleece in order to determine what it is that God wants. And uh, I think sometimes we've abused this and misunderstood it, and so we're going to be talking about it today. We're going to be looking at this passage in Gideon's life where he does, in fact, literally throw out a fleece. We're going to look at what happened, examine why it happened, and what uh, we learned from that, and drawing some applications for our lives, because this is an important subject, because we're talking about how do you determine um, what God wants you to do, and that's always an important question to have an answer for. So as we look at that, uh, look at that keep in mind that uh, this may challenge some of your thinking, may cause you to reassess some of the practices in your life, but in the end, I hope and I pray that... And I believe that it will be better for you if you do. Let me begin by looking at the passage that we're going to be talking about. It's in Judges chapter 3. We have 
as you'll recall, looked last week at where God appears to Gideon. Gideon is hiding out in a wine press, threshing his wheat down there, hiding from the Midianites who are overtaking the land of Israel now. And God appears to him, and the Lord says to him, I want you to go and fight the Midianites, and you're going to kill them. You're going to take over, and you're going to win. And so he goes through this period of doubt, until finally he gains enough courage to go ahead and send out the call to Israel to come and join him. And they do. They gather together an army of 32,000 men. Now, it's kind of ironic that he goes through this and gets the men, the soldiers, are ready to fight, and then he goes through this procedure that he undertakes. But let me begin here in verse 33 of Judges 6. It says, Now all the Midianites, the Malachites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. They are camping in the most fertile area of the land of Israel. They are consuming everything that is growing, every living beast. They're confiscating. They're just basically starving Israel to death. In verse 34, it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abzerites to, to follow him. He sent messages or messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali so that they too went up to meet him. Now he's calling his tribe, Manasseh, to battle, but he's also calling the surrounding tribes as well. Remember I told you before, the book of Judges, there are usually isolated battles. It wasn't the entire nation at one time. But these are the people that he's calling to battle. And uh, it's interesting here because it says in verse 34 that the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. Now, why did that happen and what is that talking about? Well, in the Old Testament, the, the Spirit of the Lord did not indwell anybody. It came upon them for a particular reason, for a particular period of time, and it empowered them. It gave them boldness, courage, it gave them guidance, it, um, it gave them wisdom. Uh, the Spirit of God literally came upon them, much like He does today, but it didn't stay there permanently. Difference being that today we're told that the Spirit of God indwells every believer. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God takes up residence in you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells you. Everything that he did for the Old Testament believer, he does for you, but he never leaves. And that's important to remember. We'll come back to that and talk about it in a moment. But at this point in time, Gideon is filled with the Spirit in order to do this task that God has called him to do. Now, again, this is kind of odd because he's been told by God what to do. He's been given the Holy Spirit to do it, and now he begins to backpedal. Now he begins to question it. That's important because, you know, we, we can be spiritual beings and led of the Spirit and guided by the Spirit and still be afraid. You know, we can have doubts. We can have uncertainties. We can have fears. And it all boils down to this, that God gives you everything that you need for life and godliness, according to the Scriptures, but you still have to step out. You still have to make the decision to be obedient. Gideon, I believe, is trying to backpedal. And so he comes up with this scenario where he can determine whether what God has told him is actually true or not, and whether God is going to leave him out there hanging Or is he going to come through for him? So if we look in verses 36 and 37, 
Here's what happens. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, and that's important, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there's dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. So what is he saying? He's saying, look here, the army's gathered together and your spirit has come upon me and I'm still scared to death and I don't know what to do. So I'm going to go through this procedure and I'm going to give you the opportunity to reassure me, God, that what you've told me, what you've told me is really true because right now I'm not believing it. And so here's the process. I'm going to put this fleece out, which is basically a, a sheepskin, a woolen fleece, a skin of a sheep. And I'm going to put it out, and in the morning when I get up, if that fleece is just drenching with dew, and the rest of the ground around it is bone dry, then I'm going to know that this is a miracle from God. You're giving me a sign. And then that will reassure me that what you've told me is really true, and you're going to do what you said. And so he does that, and, um, and, and we look at the, the next uh, verse in verse 38, and it says, and that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Now he wrings it out. It's a bowl full of water. That thing is dripping with dew, and everything else around it is dry. God did what he asked him to do. It's a miracle. It is a sign from God. In the next verse, it says in verse 39, Then Gideon said to God, Now, do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with dew. So he's reversing what happened? He said, okay, maybe, you know, I can't be sure about this, so let's do it the other way. And now it says that God came through for him and he did it. Now let me tell you something. I'll tell you this up front, then we're going to look into this. I do not believe that this is a biblical practice. I do not believe this is the way that you and I should seek to, to determine what God's will is. Looking for signs, throwing out fleeces is not really a New Testament methodology for determining what the will of God is. However, you look at this and you have to say, okay, then why did God do it? Why did God do it for Gideon? Why did he answer this? Why did he do what Gideon had asked him to do? Now remember, they're in the Old Testament. God did things through dreams and miracles and signs like this all through the Old Testament. It was a lot of physical manifestations of what God, miraculous things that God would do in order to confirm what God had said. He did it all the time. Another thing that I want you to notice is this, and I've seen this in, in the lives of, of Christians, okay, that whenever somebody is a new believer or relatively young in the faith, that God does things that he doesn't often do for everybody else. It's almost as if, okay, they need this, and God comes through and he does things. When I was young in the faith, God did things like that for me. But as I mature, things begin to change, and you begin to understand how to walk with God and how to listen to God and how to obey God. And so God doesn't always do it that way. 
Now, I tell you that because I want you to understand this is not the norm. This is not the ideal. This is not really the biblical method for Christianity today that we determine what the will of God is and how God is going to guide us and direct us. And we'll talk about that more in a moment. I want to give you some of the problems that go along that are inherent with this method, throwing out a fleece. There are five problems with throwing out a fleece like this. And just let me say that we still do this today. You may not be aware of it. You know, I want you to really evaluate yourself, okay, and really ask yourself, are there times in my life when I do this? Whether it be asking God to show you, off, you know, one headlight or some, a bird messing on your windshield. It could be any number of things. It's the same method. It's throwing out a fleece. It's saying, God, if, if you're really wanting me to do this, then respond this way. And it doesn't really matter what it is. It's still the same idea. So here are the problems with throwing out fleeces. Number one. Most often when we throw out fleeces, it's used to get out of doing God's will. It's not to determine what God's will is. Most often when we do this, we already know what God wants. We want to get out of it, and so we're testing God. This is what Gideon did. Gideon knew what God wanted. He said, look, if this is really what you want me to do, as you have promised, as you have said... Man, Gideon wasn't trying to determine what God wanted. He already knew what God wanted. Gideon was trying to look for a way out of this. Now, I don't know whether Gideon thought to himself, we're going to put out the call to the army and nobody's going to respond, and then I'll be off the hook. And he was shocked when somebody did respond. And 32,000 men gathered, and he said, now what am I going to do? Maybe that's what he thought. I don't know. Maybe Gideon looked at the odds. He's outnumbered four to one. I can't do this. Maybe God made a mistake. You know, it would be just like God, he thinks. Let me go out there and everybody get killed. That's what God does. God does those kind of things. He just hangs me out to dry. You know, sometimes we think that too. We think, boy, God may be leading me to do something that I've never done before. Take a chance to talk to somebody or take a chance and do something in the church that I've never done before. And what if God just throws me out there and I fumble and flounder? God just hangs me out to dry. And so we back off. Or we'll throw out a fleece and give God a test and say, God, show me a miracle if you really want me to do what you've told me to do. And you know something? When we know, uh, we, we all know what the Holy Spirit wants. We all know what God is telling us. I'm going to show you that in a moment. And if you're honest with yourself, you will admit, deep down in the recesses of my being and my spirit, I already know what God wants. What I'm trying to do is get out of it or change it or manipulate it. And so I'm throwing out a fleece in hopes that somehow God will change what he wants or change my mind or something. But more often than not, what we're trying to do is just get out of doing God's will. Here's the second problem that we see in this process, and that is this, that whenever we throw a fleece out, it puts God in a very small box. Puts God in a very small box. You're basically telling the God of the universe that if you want me to do what you have told me to do, then do this. Act in this very certain, specific way and prove to me that what you've told me to do 
is really accurate because I don't believe it. And so we limit God. We put him in a little box and say, I'll obey you if you do this. And in reality, what we as believers ought to be doing is to say to God, I will do what you've told me to do regardless. Because I already know what you want. You've already told me. You've already made it clear. We put God in that box in order to get out of doing what we should because we know deep down that maybe God's not going to do this. And maybe this, this little fleece I've thrown out is not going to come through and it'll prove and at least ease my conscience so that I can say, no, it really must not have been God after all. Here's the third problem with throwing out the fleece, and that is this, that it's never enough. It's never enough. You know, if you go back to the story we looked at last week, the Lord appears there in the wine press with Gideon, and he, he tells him, he said, now I'm going to lead you out there. You and the army are going to conquer the, the Midianites, and you're going to kill them all. Not just some of them, all of them. And God says to him, he says, now go fix me something to eat. And he brings it, and he, he brings the meat and, and the bread and, and the broth. And God tells Gideon, pour out the broth all over everything. And God takes his staff, and he hits the rock, and the whole thing is consumed in the fire. He said, this is how you'll know that I'm the one speaking to you. He already had that. That was enough to get him moving at least. And now he's coming back, and he's saying, well, show me something else to reassure me. So he throws out the fleece the first time. And God does what he asks, and he shows him, and he reassures him. And lo and behold, it wasn't enough. And God, he says to God, now just, just don't be angry with me, but just one more. Because you see, it's never going to be enough. If God does miraculously do what you've asked him to do, and fit into this little box that you're trying to squeeze him into, and do it, even if he does it, you're going to want more because it's never going to be enough. Because you see, deep down, you're trying to get out of it. You're not trying to determine what his will is. You're trying to get out of doing what you already know he's told you to do. And when you're looking for a way out, there's no answer that's ever going to be enough. That's the bad part about it. Let me read you this verse. It's in the New Testament in Matthew. Jesus is talking. He's been out preaching. And here the, here's what he says. He says, A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. And Jesus then left them and went away. Now what is this talking about? He's been out preaching and teaching, and uh, the Pharisees and the religious leaders keep asking for more. Hey, heal somebody else. Raise somebody else from the dead. Put somebody else up out of the, uh, off the, their uh, bed and, and make them walk. Uh, heal the blind and so forth. Keep doing more and more. And, and then maybe we'll believe you. Maybe we'll believe in you. Until he gets to the point where he says, no. He says, I have already done more than enough signs and wonder so that you will know that I'm really God. And then he makes this statement. He says, a wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign. He's, and he goes on to say in the context of what he's telling them there, he says, there's not any more signs going to be given to you except, except for the sign of Jonah, which was the resurrection. The Bible says Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, and so shall the Son of Man be in the grave. That was the sign of Jonah. 
The resurrection, he said, is the last miracle you're going to see from me. But I want you to note that it's not the context in that particular situation that I'm I'm wanting to look at. I want to look at what he says about people who look for signs. You're wicked and adulterous generation. Why would he say that? Because in most cases, people who are asking for signs are looking to get out of doing what God has told them to do. You see, in our lives, God has already spoken. God has already told us. We already know what it is that God wants. But sometimes it's just never enough. We'll keep asking for more and throwing out fleeces and testing God and trying God, and God says, why don't you just believe me? See, they didn't. This is the reason why the Lord says what he does. So it's never going to be enough when you start throwing out fleeces. Here's the, the third or the fourth thing that I want you to see about throwing out a fleece, and that is this, that you can never be sure. You can never be sure. What if I had seen one headlight that morning? Hmm. I would begin to question that. I would begin to say, now wait a minute. What if this was just a coincidence? What if I'm, I'm planning my future based on a bird that couldn't control itself or somebody that couldn't, didn't, couldn't afford to put a new headlight in? What if, what if this is all just coincidence? And so it's, it's never going to be enough and you're never going to be sure because you're always questioning just one more because maybe that was just a coincidence. How will you ever know? How will you ever know if the fleece that you've thrown out there was just something that happened naturally and God had nothing to do with it? But here's the fifth one, and the fifth one is very important because when you throw out a fleece, it leaves the Holy Spirit out of the process. It leaves the Holy Spirit out of the process. Now listen to this very carefully, okay? The mark of Christian maturity is learning to walk in the Spirit. The New Testament tells us that, that we as believers are to learn how to live life in accordance with the guidance of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. A mature believer has learned to do that. An immature believer hasn't, therefore he throws out fleeces. Therefore he looks for signs. The mature believer already knows what is supposed to be done because in his inner being, God has already revealed it to him. Now, that's true of every believer, but the mature one has learned to know it. The mature one has learned to ascertain what that is and to recognize it. Like I said before, every Christian is indwelt with the Spirit. That Spirit has a job. Now, watch what his job is. It's found in John chapter 16, verse 13. Now, listen to this. Jesus said this. He said, but when he... The Spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. Now, guys, listen to this verse now. If you're sleeping on me, wake up for this, okay, please. He's saying that the Spirit of God lives within you as a believer, and your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And here's the reason why. Because the Spirit of truth, when He comes, will guide you 
into all truth, everything you need to know. You want to know what the will of God is? All you got to do is listen because the Spirit, I have told him what to tell you and it's his job to do it. He will guide you into all truth and he will speak not what he wants you to hear but what I have already told him. And it says here that he will tell you what is yet to come. Now, I don't know about you, but that raises a big question for me. Because I want to know how he does that. How the Holy Spirit living within me is going to tell me what is to come. What does God want me to do? What is the future? What to do next? See, that's the guidance. Those, those are the answers I'm looking for. So how is the Spirit going to do it? That's my question. Now here's another verse I want you to look at. It's in Romans chapter 8, verse 16. Listen to this. Paul is talking here and he says, The Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now in the context of what he's saying here, the context is that people were questioning, believers were questioning. They said, are we really believers? Are we really Christian? Has God really saved us? And Paul is saying to them that the Holy Spirit that God has placed in you is going to talk to your spirit. And he's going to convince you that, yeah, you are a believer. He's going to reassure you of that. Now, it's not the context of that that I want to talk about. It's the process that I want you to see. Because God is saying that in your life as a believer, the Holy Spirit lives within you, and it's the Holy Spirit that is going to be conversing and somehow communicating with your spirit. Now, listen to what I'm telling you, okay? These are some of the things I've told you before, so they may sound familiar, familiar to you. You and I are triune in nature. We are body, soul, and spirit, according to the Scriptures. The soul and the spirit can never be separated. Some people think they can, it cannot. Soul and spirit are intrinsically, by creation, one. Every human being has a spirit. That's who we are. That is, that is what a human being is. It is a spirit, first and foremost, covered in a body. Paul tells us the body is just a shell. When the spirit leaves it, the body dies and decays, because without the spirit there is no life. You and I are spirit beings living in a body. The soul is what makes our spirit distinctly different from somebody else. It's the soul that is the personality. It's the soul that makes you uniquely different. We're all spirit beings, but you can look around this room and see we're all different in our desires, our passions, our, what is our values, everything. We're different, but we're still spirit beings. We're in a body or a shell. Do you realize that as long as we are in this body, this shell, that we cannot see our spirits? But when we leave this body, we will be able to. And unless God intervenes and manifests himself in some miraculous way, you are not going to be able to see the spirits. Yet the Bible tells us that there's a great cloud of spiritual witnesses all around us. I can't explain that, you know, other than the fact of what the Bible says. But as long as we are in this body, we can't physically hear the voice of God. We can't physically see the Spirit. 
of God unless he manifests himself in some way. The problem is this, that a lot of Christians think that this is how God is going to communicate, that this is the norm, that you're going to hear the voice and you're going to see something, and that's how God is going to communicate, and the Bible says that's not true. Because right here it says, here's how God communicates with you. That His Spirit living in you is going to speak to your spirit. And you're not going to hear it. But you're going to know it. You're going to sense it. How often have you said, I can't explain it, but I just feel led to do something. I just feel like I have to do this. I feel like... God is telling me to do this. Well, you know, that freaks a lot of people out because they're still thinking of hearing on a physical level. What we're saying is this, that somehow God, His Spirit, is conversing with my spirit and He is creating within me feelings and emotions and thoughts and desires. I can't explain. I don't know where they come from. People say, well, explain it to me. Why you have this passion or this desire to do something? I can't. But I can't deny that it's there. And I've got to believe as a Christian that God has put His Spirit in there, as He said, to guide me and to speak to me and to tell me. And it's that motivation or that moving of the Spirit in me that causes me to respond in a certain way. And it's that very conviction, we call it conviction, that leading, that guiding that so many of us want to get away from, want to ignore, because we don't want to do what the Spirit's leading us to do, so we throw out fleeces in an effort to soothe our conscience so that we can say, oh, I put out the fleece and God didn't show me, so it must not be real. God says, I'm not going to show you because you, more than any person in all of history, you are in a privileged position because my Spirit lives in you. And that's how I'm going to commune with you. That's how I'm going to speak to you. You see, the Bible is here for us, and we read it, and we gain knowledge and understanding of what it is that God wants from us, but the specifics are left out. The Bible tells every single one of us, now listen to this, every single one of us, regardless of how you're gifted or what you are or who you are, that as a believer, God says, you be the light to the world. You be that. You be the one that tells people about me. You be the one that's the testimony of, your, of what my grace is like. You let your light shine. Well, how do I do that? Well, God doesn't say that in the Bible. God tells you that with the Spirit. And individually, it's different for each one of us. God said to me back in 1975, go preach. And I had to leave and go to Bible college and leave my family behind, my parents and brothers and sisters. And Deb and I took off. And the only thing we had, not a fleece, no... The only thing we had was the motivation of our spirit within us, that God said, this is what you need to do. And I knew it. And so do you. And if you are guilty of throwing out fleeces, you need to understand why you're doing it. You're trying to get out from under that. To ease your conscience and to allow you to say no to God because God didn't answer the fleece. And that is not the way God is going to converse with you. What is the correct method? Let me share with you very quickly three things, okay? Here's what I tell people when they're trying to tell me, you know, try to figure out, okay, what do I do and how do I 
come to understand what God is doing and what He wants me to do, I tell them this. Number one, you commit to be obedient first and foremost. Before you do anything else, the Bible says to you, you're going to have to make a commitment that God, whatever you say to me, however you're leading me, that I'm going to obey it. Now watch this verse, okay? John 7, 17. This is Jesus talking, and here's what he says. He says, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. I see they were questioning him. They were saying, are you really from God? Are you really just making this up? And, and, and then he tells them, it's not the context of the situation that I want you to see. I want you to see the process. Because he says this, you want to know what the truth is? Do you want to know whether what I'm telling you is real? Do you want to know what God is saying to you? Do you want to know that? Then here's the, here's the catch right here. You choose to do the will of God first, and then it will become known to you. What? Yeah. See, God says to you and me, I put, out of my grace, I've saved your soul, I've, I've redeemed you, and I put my spirit within you, and I'm speaking to you, and I'm guiding you. So, yeah, don't play games with me. Don't be throwing out fleeces. Don't be trying to get out of what I'm telling you to do. If I am speaking to you, and only you know that, then you make a commitment to be obedient, and I'll show you where to go from there. See, this is the first thing you need to do. And it, it, it seems to be the exact opposite. But God says you've got to begin with a heart that is pliable. You've got to begin with the attitude that God, whatever you tell, tell me, I'm going to do. And then God says, now I'll tell you what to do. But as long as we're throwing out fleeces, God knows our heart and God knows we're trying to get out of things. A New Testament believer doesn't need that. Because he has what he needs living within him. So yeah, make that commitment that God, okay, I surrender. I surrender. I struggled with whether to go to Bible college and be a preacher for a long time until one night in my little apartment I surrendered. Okay, God, I'll go. I don't have a clue how this is going to take place. I don't have enough money. How am I going to do it? But I'll go. Then God moved. Because you see, when I made that commitment, I was laid off. That new job I took lasted a couple of years. They ran, business got down. He said, okay, I'm going to have to lay you off and I'll call you back when I need you. I said, okay. I'm sitting there with no job saying, okay, God, I surrender. That week he called me back. He said, there's some work that's come in. I need you back. Come on. Now, I had already counted the cost. I knew what it was going to take to make that move. It's going to be about 1200 bucks to move the family down, give us a little time to get jobs and all that stuff. And So I said, okay, God, I need $1,200. You're going to have to open this door now, and I'll go. In about a period of three months working, I saved $1,200. And then I start thinking, okay, you know, and in a year from now, I could really save a lot of money and then go to Bible college. The next week, I get laid off again. There's no fleece involved here. It was just God saying, no, I've given you what you needed. You committed to go. Now go. And so I went and never looked back. But you see, you learn. You learn how to hear that. You learn. 
I've got to commit to be obedient first. Now let me quickly go to the second point. Here's what you do next. You've got to pray for and look for open doors. You've got to pray for and look for open doors. Let me just add on to this. Close the doors too, okay? Now you're not throwing out a fleece. You're just simply saying, I'm committing to go. I'm gone. Gideon could have said, Lord, I'm going. You just got to supply the need, and God would supply the need. Lord, I'm going. I'm going to fight. If I'll die on the battlefield, that's okay. I'm gone. Because I know what you've told me to do. Now all you've got to do is open up the doors and let me go. Show me what to do, and I'll go because I'm trusting you. You see, we pray, Lord, guide me, prepare the way. Yet we count the cost, of course, because the Bible tells us to. We evaluate this. We, we, we come to the understanding that this is of God. We even seek godly counsel because I want to know as you pray how you feel about this decision that I'm making. Not that it's going to matter one way or the other, but I want to know because you have the Spirit living in you. And if we pray together, God can give guidance that so we're seeking that. And then as I commit to do that, God begins to open and close doors and create circumstances and go before me and prepare the way and make my path straight. All of a sudden, you're going 90 miles an hour, walking with God, (laughs) wondering, oh my gosh, how did I get here? Because all you did was commit to be obedient and let God open the door and step through. And God did what he said he would do. We, uh, this past Tuesday morning, and I want to encourage you guys to come to our Bible study on Tuesday morning. We do it at 6.30. If you come to Bible study, I'll take you to breakfast, okay? We're all going to breakfast. I'll pay for it if you just come. Um, But we were talking this past week in the book of Acts, and we came across this passage, and I was working on the sermon, so I, I thought this would be a good passage to use during this sermon. So here it is. It's in Acts chapter 16. I want you to look at this now. Verses 6 through 10. You want to know a New Testament model for determining God's will? Watch this. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Now notice what it says here. They're continuing on preaching and winning people to Christ as God had told them to do. And they come up to this one area that they want to go into, and God says through the Holy Spirit, nope. They were kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching. How did that happen? How did he you know, tie them to a tree? How did he prevent them from doing it? He just didn't open up the doors. He didn't provide the way. He didn't provide what they needed. He made it obvious to them, this is not what you're to do. It says in verse 7, when they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia. They kept pushing, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once and to leave for Macedonia, concluding, I watch that, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now what's the point? God is opening and closing doors. Now watch this, okay? Just listen. God made a call on the life of the Apostle Paul and those that were with him, Luke and the others that are there with him. And he said to them, you go to the Gentiles and you preach the gospel to the Gentiles. 
And Peter and James are going to preach to the Jews, but you go to the Gentiles and all these out-of-the-way places. He knew what God wanted, and he was determined to do it. Like a bull in a china shop, man, he was gone. And they were preaching all over the place. And God prepared the way, God opened doors, and miraculous things took place. And then there was a time when God said, they're not ready to hear, but they are. This door is closed, this one is open. And Paul, deep with his mandate to preach the gospel, tried to kick the door open. And God said, no, go there. And he went. Had a wonderful ministry and many people believed and were saved. You and I have got to learn to see the open doors, to seize the opportunities, because they'll be there. God will do what God needs to do. You and I are the ones that are the problem, because you see, we keep throwing out fleeces in order to get out of it. And you and I need to be praying, and you need to be asking other people to pray with you. If you have a decision to make, it could be just getting another job. It could be whether to get married or not. It could be, you know, what do I do about my children? It could be any number of things. And you need guidance. And you need to be praying that God through His Spirit would speak to your spirit and that you would know that. And you need to be praying that God would open the doors and close the doors, open the opportunities and show you the way. Because you want God to go before you. You're going to see next week how God went before Gideon. That's what I want. I don't want to get out of doing God's will. I just want to know what it is. And I want God to show me. Now here's the third and final thing you need to do. Here it is very quickly. When you've prayed for the open door and you see it, then you have to take the step. You have to take the first step. This is so important, okay? Now listen to me. Gideon saw what to do. He just didn't want to go do it. And so he threw out fleeces. There's going to be a door that opens, and usually only one. Now listen very carefully, okay? God rarely, rarely ever shows you more than one door at a time. God tells you to do something, and here's the where to go to do it. This is the direction to go in. This is what you do, the first thing. But God, I want to know what to do after that. I want to know how this is going to end, and I want to know if I'm going to be lust out there to, to die on the vine or whether you're going to abandon me. I want to know that. God says, no. I've told you what to do. Are you not going to believe me? And if you believe me, go through the door, and I'll show you the next door. God ain't going to show you the next door till you go through that one. See, that's the teaching of Scripture. You obey, and God opens up the doors. God makes the paths straight. God prepares the way. But you have to go through the first one. So you want to know then how to determine God's will. This is the biblical way of doing it, not through throwing out fleeces. What is the Holy Spirit telling you? What is it? You're struggling with something. You're struggling with knowing what to do in the given situation and the season of your life, the sickness that is there. You're wanting to know, God, what do I do? Do I handle? How do I handle this job change? How do I minister? How do I get involved in church? What do I do about this marriage? How do I handle this move? 
Lord, how do I witness to people? How do I be a light to the world? Me, Lord, what do you want to do with me? Lord, what do I, how do I give? You have, you, you're convicting me to give money. How, where do I give it? How do I give it? How, start a business, but I'm scared to death. Lord, what do I do? All of these questions, valid questions. And if you start throwing out fleeces, you're going to run into the problems that I've already mentioned. But in your spirit, you already know. You know at least the first step to take. Take it. Start moving. Because as you move, God begins to open up for you the next step. You see, the life for the, the Christian life is a life of faith. That means that I take a step of faith, and I, then I've got to have more faith for the next step. It's always a situation of trusting God, one step at a time. And that's what God is going to do with you. And that's how God wants us, because that brings us right to the foot of the cross. It brings us right there. It says, God, I've got to depend on you every day. It's not a big plan thrown out there, and I don't need you anymore. Every day, every day I need you. That's the challenge, Christian, that you begin to walk with the Lord that way. The mark of maturity for the believer is the person that can do that. That's the mature Christian. If you're here this morning and you do not know for sure if you have eternal life, let me share with you this verse. It's in John 6:47. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. He who believes has everlasting life. That's God's promise to you. Will you believe it? Will you believe that Jesus died on a cross to pay for your sins? That's the gospel message. But you believe that or not, it's that simple. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. If you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're going to be, you're being asked by God at this moment to take him at his word, to believe what he has said. So you trust him. You're turning to God in faith and you're believing that Jesus died for you and that was enough to save your soul. And that one day you'll be with him regardless of your actions. This is an act of grace that God has given to you. Accept it. Believe it. And be saved. Be forgiven. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here this morning before you, Father, maybe there's one that needs to put their faith in you, and I pray right now that as we are bowed before you and they are opening up their heart, that your Holy Spirit would just show them their need and they would respond in faith. And that, Father, you would enter in through your Spirit and change their lives. Lord, for all of us, I pray that we, as your people, would learn to hear your voice. That we, as your people, would rely and trust you to guide us and direct us every step of the way. And that we, as your people, would never look for a way out of obedience. But we would surrender fully to you. Help us to be that person, Father. That church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.